Hello there. My name is Danny Yeoman, wild bird expert for Pets Corner and developer of Peter and Paul Bird Foods. As it's Christmas, I thought I'd have a little fun with this week's podcast. If you listen to my podcast, you're probably aware that I'm a big fan of folklore surrounding birds and at Christmas I can really get my geek on. And no more so than the Christmas Carol, The Twelve Days of Christmas. I bore everyone at this time of year, telling all my friends and family that it was originally published in a book called Mirth Without Mischief in about 1780, and it's thought to be a catechism song used by young Catholics to help them learn the tenets of the faith. But what I love most, of course, is the birds. No other Christmas carol features birds quite as much as the 12 days of Christmas. So I thought I'd give a little info on the birds featured in the carol and suggest what some of the non-ornithological verses could refer to. So, on the first day of Christmas, my true love sent to me a partridge in a pear tree. The partridge is a member of the pheasant family and has been a traditional game bird in England for centuries. The partridge referred to in the carol is most likely a grey partridge, or English partridge. Partridges are usually ground birds who feed on seeds and insects, so I'm not really sure why they'd be sitting in a pear tree. Grey partridges would be a very rare garden visitor, but occasionally its close cousin the red-legged partridge does. The red-legged partridge was introduced to Britain in the 1600s by Charles II and are a very attractive bird. If you're lucky to have this bird visit, they love a little Peter and Paul clean plate sprinkled on the ground. A fun fact about red-legged partridge, they're sometimes called chucker because when they're worried they make a chuck, 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 chuck sound. I always think they're saying something else. So next, on the second day of Christmas, my true love sent to me two turtle doves. Now the turtle doves is a common summer visitor to England. Anyone who tells you they don't like pigeons has never seen a turtle dove. It's a dainty dove, smaller and darker than most other pigeons, and absolutely gorgeous, and would have been featured in banquets in medieval times, just as today we eat pigeon. Chances are, if you live in a town anywhere in the UK, you'll be blessed or cursed with pigeons. So what do you do with them? Well, that's up to you. If you prefer not to have these birds wolfing down everything you put on the ground, cat's dinner, socks fallen from the washing line, then use a totally wheat-free mix, like Peter and Paul seed mixes and cover the ground table with a pigeon-proof cage that allows the smaller birds through. Or you might love them for their cocky attitude and trusting nature, and they can't be beaten on entertainment value. Pigeons will eat a very wide variety of food. I was only joking about the socks. But especially Peter and Paul mealworm mix and Peter and Paul in full song, fed directly on the ground or from a low feeding table. So next, on the third day of Christmas, my true love sent to me three French hens. There are four well-known breeds of French hen. Faveroles, La Fletch, Crevecoeurs and Marins. Faveroles have superior egg-laying ability during the winter months, so would make an ideal gift for someone's true love at Christmas. We sell some fantastic chicken food in Pets Corner. 
Great and small layers pellets and feather and beaky layers pellets contain no GM ingredients. But if you want to give your chickens a treat over the holidays, you can't go wrong with a little feather and beaky chicken treat, which is a tasty treat suitable for all chickens over 16 weeks of age and is a delicious blend of cereal grains grits the chickens love. So next, on the fourth day of Christmas, my true love sent to me four calling birds. Most people interpret a calling bird as a songbird. However, the original song referred to four collie birds. The word collie means black as coal or soot, so it's likely that the gift was four blackbirds. We know that blackbirds were eaten in the past from the children's nursery rhyme four and twenty blackbirds baked in a pie. Barbarians. The song of the blackbird is arguably the most beautiful and best loved of any British bird. Sadly though, it's a bird that everyone forgets. People put up bird feeders in their garden and then watch all the small birds visit. What they don't do is look down under the feeder. If they did, they will usually find some poor blackbird hopping around trying to find anything he can eat that might have been dropped by the other birds. Blackbirds are omnivores and have an insectivorous portion of their diet that needs to be fulfilled, but they also require fruit and special tonic seeds as part of a balanced mix. Can your blackbirds find these in your garden? If you want to keep your local blackbirds fit and healthy, you should be making sure you're feeding everything a blackbird needs. That's Peter and Paul in full song. And if you do feed in full song, you won't just be helping your blackbirds, but a whole host of other wonderful songbirds in your garden. Birds like robins, song thrush, missile thrush, red wing, field fair, dunnock, pied wagtail. The list goes on. But remember, blackbirds and most other songbirds can't use feeders. Their food needs to be scattered on the ground or placed on a bird table. So next, on the fifth day of Christmas, my true love sent to me five gold rings. Now the gold rings are not in fact pieces of jewellery, as the literal meaning would have you believe, but actually ring-necked birds. These are most likely to be common pheasants, which were introduced to England from China in medieval times, and still a popular game bird eaten today. Pheasants aren't really birds you attract to your garden, they just bumble in, whether you want them or not. Stunning, variable plumage, heavyweights, and rather regal in appearance. Sadly, though, anyone who has encountered with a pheasant know that it is a bird of very little brain. The Winnie the Pooh of the bird world. The handsome male and his dowdy wife may turn up in any sort of garden with open spaces nearby happily feeding from a low table or from the ground, where seeds may have fallen from feeders. Pheasants feed in the wild on a wide variety of seeds, so they will be delighted to find any Peter and Paul seed mix in your garden. They will also eat kitchen scraps and pieces of peanut. In fact, they will eat pretty much anything you put in front of them. If you do love these flamboyant show-offs, you should feed little Peter and Paul in full song. That'll give them everything a growing pheasant needs. So, on the sixth day of Christmas, my true love sent to me, six geese are laying. The geese in this verse are probably domesticated birds, so likely to be grey-legged goose, the ancestor of the domestic geese. 
The grey lag goose is a large native British bird and is still traditionally eaten at Christmas. Feeding geese, ducks and swans at your local ponds and parks can be a controversial topic, but it can also be an enchanting wildlife experience for all ages. Me personally, I became first interested in birds because of feeding ducks. When I was young though, I didn't know any better. I fed bread. Feeding geese, ducks and other waterfowl bread is bad because the food has little nutritional value and can harm goslings and ducklings' growth, pollute waterways and attract rodents and other pests. Similarly, ducks, swans and geese should not be fed any products that are spoiled or mouldy. Different types of mould can be fatal to waterfowl. Fortunately, there are many types of food you can offer to geese, ducks and swans as part of a healthy and nutritious diet. The best we do at Pets Corner is the wild thing swan and duck food. So, on the seventh day of Christmas, my true love sent to me seven swans a-swimming. Nowadays, mute swans are protected birds, but there are many surviving medieval recipes for swans. One such recipe says that the swan was quite often served as an ordinary dish, without the head. Swan was roasted alongside peacocks, storks and other birds that we'd never consider eating today. A roast swan must require a very large oven. Flight feathers from the female swan were used as writing implements, then known as pen quills, and later as quill pens, until the quill was left out and only the word pen remained. So our present day ballpoints etc take their name from a female swan. Like the previous verse, if you want to give your local swans a Christmas treat, you can't go wrong with a little wild thing swan and duck food. So on the 8th day of Christmas, my true love sent to me 8 maids a milking. Okay, so it gets a little less birdy from now on. I've never really understood why you'd want milking maids for Christmas. Anyway... Cattle egrets are a small bird with a yellow or greyish legs and yellow beak. As their name suggests, cattle egrets tend to live near cattle, as the animal's hooves disturb invertebrate prey. Cattle egrets are visiting the UK in increasing numbers, and I think they are an appropriate bird to represent the maids in the carol. I love egrets, not least because their name works so well in ornithological karaoke. Think No Egrets by the Walker Brothers, and of course that eternal favourite, Egrets, I've had a few. Okay, enough of the bad jokes. Until now, the only egret that you were ever likely to see in Britain was the little egret, and even this was a very recent colonist. When I stumbled across a little egret on Brownsea Island back in the 1980s, it was a really exciting find, as the species was then a very rare visitor from the continent. Today, almost four decades later, little egrets are a familiar sight on freshwater marshes and estuaries throughout southern Britain. Now they've been joined with their close relative, the cattle egret. This is one of those birds whose name really does what it says on the tin. Having evolved to feed alongside elephants and buffaloes on the African savannah, the cattle egret has been quick to transfer its loyalties to domestic breeds and will happily root around insects among the herds of Frisians and Red Devons. This adaptability means that it's been able to expand its global range to reach all seven continents, the only bird species apart from the Arctic tern to have achieved this remarkable feat. 
So next, on the ninth day of Christmas, my true love sent to me nine ladies dancing. Many birds perform dances, particularly during courtship rituals. Although regarded by some as black, sinister and greedy, cormorants have a distinctive bobbing stance when dancing, which I think looks quite ladylike. The cormorant is one of a handful of birds that is universally recognised, even by people with little or no knowledge of birdwatching. Striking, noticeable, large and with a penchant for prominent perches, this is a bird which Britons have developed a subconscious familiarity. But it seems familiarity is bred contempt. For, for some people, they're described as the Black Plague or Black Death. With an intense grey eye stare, a reptilian sinuous neck, an alarming habit of standing motionless, wings drying outstretched in the manner of a demonic crucifix, cormorants tend to grab your attention. In older times their presence was seen as an omen of doom, but this perception has grown rather than diminished to many modern day anglers. The reason for its animosity is because anglers and cormorants have a common interest, fish. Webbed feet and a snake-like neck make cormorants supreme fishers. So effective are their skills that anglers believe the bird are seriously depleting fish stocks, damaging coarse fisheries and in turn ruining their sport. Cormorants have never been the fisherman's friend, but their relationship took a decidedly downward direction when the birds were afforded official protection 30 years ago. Around 9,000 pairs breed annually in the UK, but recently the cormorant's slightly smaller European cousin, a subspecies, has begun overwintering in the UK, with more than 35,000 now descending on our waterways during the colder months. This additional number is putting unbearable strain on our coarse fishing stocks, says the anglers. A licence can be sought to kill the birds if there is proof of overfishing. But some anglers, led by the Angling Trust, want the government to place the birds on general licence, a status for pest species, meaning cormorants could be shot without limitation or record. The UK holds internationally important wintering numbers of cormorants, and the RSPB believe placing the birds on a general licence could prove disastrous, as it could lead to uncontrolled killing of this species. The cormorant has been thrust into the middle of a row which raises questions about the long-term future of waterways and how far nature should make way for sport. DEFRA is currently reviewing the licence of cormorants and its eventual decision is set to leave either UK anglers unhappy or cormorants much harder to spot. I'm guessing you know which side I'm on. Okay, so on the 10th day of Christmas, my true love sent to me, 10 lords are leaping. Grey herons are tall with long legs, long beak and grey-black-white feathering. To take flight, a heron must leap into the air, and when standing, hunched with its neck bent over its chest, it looks like an old man. In many countries, herons have decreased because they are shot. In many countries, herons have decreased because they're shot by fishermen and fish farmers. In Britain, they are fully protected by the law, and they're increasing, helped by recent milder winters. 
The population fluctuates between 4,000 and 4,500 pairs, but it falls after severe winters. The bird may starve when rivers and lakes freeze over. Now herons aren't everyone's cup of tea, and for all those fishy people out there, I'm sorry. Herons sometimes visit garden ponds to steal goldfish. If you do have a problem with this bird, they may be deterred from doing this by putting a net over the pond or possibly placing a model heron on the edge. This is supposed to fool a heron into thinking that the pond already has a resident fisherman. Okay, on the 11th day of Christmas, my true love sent to me 11 pipers piping. The garden bird with the most piping call has to be the nuthatch. It's really quite easy to identify a nuthatch. They have a head at the bottom of their bodies and the bum at the top. And if that's an exaggeration, it's only a slight one. No bird is more happy upside down than a nuthatch. Its preferred position in life is on the trunk of a tree with its head pointing at the ground and its tail turned up to the leaves. The blue tit, great tits and cold tits that visit a feeder are wonderfully acrobatic, but you never get the sense that their heart and souls are upside down. The nuthatch lives for being upside down. They live in a world where the trees hang downwards from a ceiling of grass and the floor is an endless sea of blue sky for miles and miles below. It's hard to see nuthatches when they're doing their natural stuff within the dense cover of a woodland. Bringing them in close is one of the great jobs that a feeder does for a person who's interested in seeing this amazing bird. Although they will use a bird table, a feeder is their preferred way of feeding, but they will need the right kind of food. Peter and Paul Four Seasons and Peter and Paul Clean Plate are adored by nuthatches. So we've come to the last one. On the 10th day of Christmas, my true love sent to me 12 drummers drumming. I think the best contender for the drummer is the great spotted woodpecker. What can you say about this bird except wow? The holy grail for many garden bird watchers. This species has it all. Charisma, glamour and entertainment value. Their red, black and white plumage makes them stand out from the crowd. And for that we can forgive the fact that they can be a little bit of a bully. It's my feeder, so clear off. Not a problem if you have more than one feeder. The little ones will just keep out the way. The great spotted woodpeckers are reported from about a quarter of gardens and it's always a thrill to see them around. They're unmistakable as no other bird visiting your garden has that coloration, large dagger beak and that characteristic woodpecker undulating flight and that sharp click alarm call. They're one call customer. Grace Boy Woodpeckers have become common visitors to gardens all over the UK and in gardens they are not often seen on the ground but they are increasingly seen at bird tables and feeders. Sadly, Great Spotted Woodpeckers don't listen to my podcast because although they will take the odd bit of Peter and Paul clean plate they seem to prefer whole peanuts or Peter and Paul suet pellets. I ask you, you try your best to please them and they just throw it back in your face. Well, we've come to the end of our look at the birds in the 12 days of Christmas. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year. Thank you ever so much for listening to my podcast and I look forward to speaking to you soon.